Thank you, choir and orchestra. This week is Holy Week in churches. Next week we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. But today we are mindful of the crucifixion that preceded the resurrection. The final week of Jesus' life on earth was not what one would have expected it to be. Max Licato wrote of all the weeks for Jesus to display his powers, his final week would be the one. A few thousand loaves or a few dozen healings would do wonders for his image. Better still, a few Pharisees struck dumb would make life simpler. This is the week for razzle-dazzle. This is the hour for the incredible. You can silence them all, Jesus, but he doesn't. Not in Jerusalem, not in the upper room, not on the cross. When Jesus came to Jerusalem in that last week, he was welcomed as the long-promised Messiah. There were shouts of Hosanna to the Son of David. They strawed palm branches in front of him. They recognized him as the one for whom they had waited all these years. By the middle of the week, things had changed. They arrested Jesus and turned him over to the Roman authorities. The dilemma for the Romans was what would they do with Jesus? What could they do with him? He has been turned over by the Jews. What would they do with him? Well, the Bible says that Pilate thoroughly interrogated him. He asked the questions. After his interrogation, he concluded that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. The charges that were brought against him, he was not guilty. Pilate then sent him to Herod. Herod examined Jesus reached the same conclusion that he had done nothing worthy of death, and then he sent Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate, as you know the story, eventually gave him up for crucifixion. Today I want us to look at the story as Jesus stood before Pilate. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 18. We'll begin reading in verse number 33. Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So are you a king? Jesus answered, You say correct, correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? 
And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? Therefore they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I am usually probably more interested in one's questions than one's answer. The reason is that I find questions to be more revealing than answers that are given. As I read this passage of Scripture recently, I noticed that as Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate asked him some questions. And I want us to look at three questions Pilate asked today. The first question he asked is, who are you? In verse number 33. Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? I can imagine that as Jesus was brought before Pilate, Pilate was wondering, who is this man? Surely he had heard about him. He had heard about the miracles that he had performed, some of the teachings that he had shared. He had heard about him, but who is this man who stands before Pilate? Why have the Jews given him into the hands of the Romans? Who is this man, Jesus? But as I thought about that, I thought, but who's Pilate? Pilate is asking the question, who are you, but who is Pilate? And as I began to study a little bit about Pilate, I discovered that we really don't know a great deal about him. He became the governor of Jerusalem in 26 A.D. He served for about 10 years because things didn't work out so well. He was recalled to Rome. And then the question becomes, what happened to him when he went to Rome? There are some who speculate that he committed suicide. There are others who speculate that the Romans executed Pilate. And some say that he simply faded from history. We don't know a lot about him, but we do know that when he was the governor of Jerusalem, that he was a weak leader, that he made some decisions that irritated the Jews, and as a result of that, his leadership was weakened. For instance, when Pilate came to Jerusalem, he came with great pomp and ceremony. The, the soldiers who accompanied him as he came into Jerusalem had standards or flags that bore the image of the emperor. Now you know the Romans worshipped the emperor. There was emperor worship. So this was offensive to the Jews. They asked him to take the offense down, the standards down, and he refused to do so. Other Roman leaders had not done that. When they came, they knew that the Jews would be offended by such, and so they did not do that, but Pilate refused to do so. He kept the standards. The second bad decision he made was to take money from the temple treasury. There was a shortage of water in Jerusalem, so Pilate decided to build an aqueduct. He needed to raise money to do so, and since the Jews also drank the water, he thought they should pay for part of it. So he took the money from the temple treasury, 
This incensed the Jews, and so there was a riot. And there were some Jews who were killed in that riot. This also was a mistake on his part. The third mistake he made was concerning idolatry. Inside the palace where Pilate lived, he had shields on the wall inscribed with the name of the emperor Tiberius. This was offensive to the Jews because they considered that to be idolatry. Because of the Pax Romana, they were able, they were allowed as subjects to appeal to Caesar over the ruling of the, of the governor, and they did so. When they did so, the Caesar sided with the Jews and told him to take the shields down. Now, at that point, the Jews have Pilate exactly where they want him. He is weakened. He has been overruled. So when they say later, if you do not crucify Jesus, we will say that you are not Caesar's friend. So he was weakened, and they knew he was. He was a weak judge. You'll look there in verse 33 again. Pilate entered again into the praetorium, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Matthew Henry wrote, Some think Pilate asked this with an air of scorn and contempt. Art thou the king of the Jews by whom thou art thus hated and persecuted? So he would be asking then, if you are the king of the Jews, why do your people hate you? If you claim to be the king, why do your subjects hate you and deliver you up to me? Pilate wanted to know who stood before him. Who is this man who stands before me? We all are interested in people's identities. For instance, if someone wants to talk with you and you don't know who they are, what do you do? You Google their name because you want to know who they are. We're all interested in people's identity. Who is this person who wants to speak with me? Who is this person who stands before me? Another example of that would be Moses. You know the story of the burning bush where Moses stood to talk with God and God said, Moses, I want you to be the one to deliver my people out of bondage. I want you to be the prophet who speaks for me. Moses asked two questions. The first question he asked was, who am I? In Exodus chapter 3, verse number 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? So when he asked that question, it was a question of inadequacy. God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go? Who am I? Why would he listen to me? Why would he pay any attention to a request of mine? Who am I? The second question he answered was, asked was, who are you? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. 
And I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? In other words, this was a question of authority. God, what is the authority I have? If they ask me, Who sent you? What authority do I have? Why should they listen to me? Who am I? Why should they listen to you? Who are you? So he asked a question about identity. We see a similar situation when Jesus asked the disciples in Matthew 16, 13. He began asking his disciples saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus brought the disciples together and he says, Now, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. Who do the people say that I am? How do they identify me? Well, they think you're probably a prophet. Maybe Jeremiah or John the Baptist or someone, but they think that you're a prophet. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Identity is important. And identity about the Lord Jesus is important. C.S. Lewis said, when you consider the question, who is Jesus, there are only three options available to you. And perhaps today you're considering that question, who is Jesus? Three options. He said he was a liar. You can conclude that Jesus was a liar. He knew that he wasn't the Messiah, but he said he was. So maybe that's what you do. You decide today that he is a liar. Or one can conclude that Jesus is a lunatic. He thought he was God. He thought he was God. Though he was not, he was just out of his mind. Or thirdly, Lewis says, you can conclude that he was the Lord. So he is either liar, lunatic, or the Lord. The first question I noticed as I read this was, who are you? Who are you? The second question he asked was, what have you done? Verse number 35. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Well, the Jews had delivered Jesus up to the Roman authorities. And so he asked him the question, what have you done? Actually, he was following Roman law at this point because in Roman law, there were three requirements. First of all, there had to be a specific accusation against someone. It couldn't be something that was general. There had to be a specific accusation. Secondly, the accuser had to stand before the accused. And thirdly, the accused had the right to answer for himself, the right to defend himself. So Pilate is actually following the Roman law at this point. There were four charges against Jesus, three political, one religious. In Luke chapter 23, verse number 2, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Now, here are the three political charges that they brought against Jesus. He is misleading our nation. 
The word misleading literally means to distort, twist, to turn aside. It's somewhat vague, but it probably means that he was inciting the people to rebellion. So when he said this, he is probably saying that Jesus is inciting the people to rebel against Rome. Josephus said that this was a believable accusation because the Galileans were prone to sedition. So when they said that he is misleading our nation, he is stirring up the people to rebel, that was believable because the Galileans often rebelled. The second charge that they brought was that he was forbidding to pay taxes. Albert Barnes said that was a cunning charge. They did not say that Jesus taught that, but that was the result of his teaching. That as a result of his teaching, the people were not to pay taxes. That was not true. You know the story how Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. So when they said that he is forbidding to pay taxes, that was untrue. And then they said that he claimed to be king. This charge is found in all four gospel accounts. They were very concerned about this issue. Pilate was concerned about this. So he asked him twice in verse 33 and verse 37, are you a king? The accusation is, is if Jesus claimed to be king, then he required loyalty to himself and not to Caesar. So those were the three political charges that were brought against Jesus. There was one religious charge, chapter 19, verse number 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. This is a charge of blasphemy. So they had three political charges against Jesus. They had one religious charge against him, the charge of blasphemy. Jesus answered the charges because that was his right under the system. He said that he wasn't a political king, verse number 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Matthew Henry wrote, he explained in what sense he was a king, but not such a king as was any danger to the Roman government. Not a secular king, for his interest was not supported by secular methods. So when the question was asked twice, are you a king, Jesus responded. And he said, I am not a political king. My kingdom is not of this realm. My kingdom is not of this world. He said, but I am a spiritual king. Verse number 37. Pilate therefore said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So Jesus answered and said, I am not an earthly king. I am a heavenly king. 
My kingdom is not of this realm. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, not of the earth. He goes on to say that he receives his kingdom as divine order, not the result of conquest. Matthew Henry wrote, his kingdom is not by succession, election, or conquest, but by the immediate and special designation of the divine will and counsel. So when asked the question, are you a king? Yes, I'm a king. But I am not a king of this realm, not of this world. I am a spiritual king. My kingdom was given to me by the Father, not by conquest. Now there are those who read this verse, these verses, and they conclude then that the Christian is to be a pacifist, that the Christian is not to be involved in the politics and the issues of this world. That our, our, our kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is not of this world. Thus, we are not supposed to be involved in that. Stay away from politics. It's dirty. Stay away from the secular world. But then what does one do with, when Jesus said that we are to be salt and light? How do we withdraw from the world when Jesus said, you are the salt? You are a preservative in a world that is corrupt. You are the light in a world that is spiritually dark. So there are those who say that because Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, then we are not to be involved in this worldly kingdom. And yet Jesus said, but you are the salt and the light. After the discussion, Pilate abdicated his responsibility. Why did he do that? Pilate was the governor. Why did, why did he abdicate? Why did he withdraw? I think there were a couple of temptations. The first was a desire to please. He wanted to please the people. In Mark chapter 15, verse 15, the Bible says, and wishing to satisfy the multitude. Look at that. Wishing to satisfy the multitude. Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Pilate wanted to be pleasing to the people who were crying out for the crucifixion of Christ. That was the temptation that he faced. Herod fell victim to the same temptation. You know the story in the Bible about his stepdaughter dancing and he was uh, impressed with her dance and he said to her, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. What would you want? And she said, I would like to have John Baptist's head on a platter. And then the Bible says in Matthew 14, 9, and although he was grieved, although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest, a desire to please. Barnes wrote, he had not firmness enough to obey the law of God and to follow the dictates of conscience against the opinions of wicked men. Oftentimes we also fall victim to the desire to please, do we not? We want to be pleasing or acceptable to someone. 
We're more interested in being pleasing to man than we are in being pleasing to God. So we compromise our convictions to be accepted by those who have none. What happened to Pilate? He yielded to the temptation to please and he was intimidated by fear. He was pressured by the crowd, Luke 23, 23, but they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified and their voices began to prevail. The Bible says that they were insistent. Because of Pilate's weakness, they were emboldened. Now, I think that this is an important lesson for us. Because of his weakness, they gained boldness. The Bible says that they were loud. The voices of the wicked become louder as they are acknowledged. We have seen that. When we acknowledge the voices of the wicked, they only become louder and they prevail. Dr. George Bliss said they got by sheer pressure of voices what they had neither argument for nor any particle of proof. Then they threatened him in chapter 19, verse number 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. They knew that he was weak. He knew they knew he was weak. And so they cried out and said, we will tell Caesar you are not his friend. We have done it once. We will do it again. What have you done? Third question, what is truth? Verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him, but do you have a custom that I should release someone for you at the Passover? Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? What is truth? Good question. We can only speculate as to why he asked it. Was he a learner? And he wanted to learn more. Well, that's a possibility, I guess. Or was it that he wanted to be more informed as a judge because he was the judge? Matthew Henry wrote, Some think he spoke it as a judge, inquiring further into the cause now brought before him. Or did he ask the question as a scoffer? Henry said, like men of no religion who take a pleasure in bantering all religions, he ridicules both sides. What is truth? Is it because I want to learn? Because I want to judge? Or am I simply scoffing? Last week of Jesus' earthly life included a trial before Pilate. I think it's noteworthy that Pilate examined Jesus and concluded that he had done nothing worthy of death. He had done nothing concerning the charges that they had brought against him, but then he capitulated. Pilate had his beliefs, but then there were his actions. He believed that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death, but he gave Jesus up to be crucified. 
Someone has said, Pilate condemned him, the crowd accused him, Herod mocked him, Judas betrayed him, Peter denied him, and now the question is, what are you going to do with him? What will you do with Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Those are the three options that are available to us. But each one of us must choose what we believe about Jesus and what we will do with Jesus. Our gracious Father and God, as we come mindful of the sacrifice that Christ made for us, I pray, Lord, that we might seriously consider our own standing with you. Father, I pray for those who have never come to know Christ as Savior. Maybe they've never seriously considered the claim. I pray they would today. For other commitments that need to be made, I pray that they would be made today. I ask this in the strong name of the living Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. It's an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you don't know Him, would you commit your life to Him today? If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do. seated. 